Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, five secrets to taking a break from drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60 minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Well, hi there. I'm excited to bring you a conversation today with Meredith Atwood. She recently wrote a book, The Year of No Nonsense, How to Get Over Yourself and On With Your Life. Meredith and I actually quit drinking right around the same time, four and a half years ago. Meredith is a really inspirational woman. She's a former attorney, a podcaster, and a motivational speaker. She's also a four-time Ironman triathlete. She's the author of a best-selling triathlon book, Triathlon for Every Woman, in addition to her new book, The Year of No Nonsense. Her podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, and it's all about how we all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that makes the difference in our health, our happiness, and our success. Meredith's journey started with her husband leaving her a note on the counter one morning that read, you need to get your shit together. She was tired, hungover, overweight, a mess, and had a lot of work to do on herself. Not all at once, but eventually, 
Meredith began to peel back the layers of what she calls in her book, The Truth Onion, leading to the publication of The Year of No Nonsense. In this book that we're going to talk about today, she addresses how she truly began to get to the root of her suffering and on the path to change. I think you're going to love Meredith. So let's bring her on. Well, Meredith, I am so excited you're here. I absolutely loved your book, The Year of No Nonsense. So as we get started, will you just tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah. Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so The Year of No Nonsense was a book that was that I started to write that I thought was going to be a fun, like really exciting, funny book. <laughs> and it is a really great book, but it took a different turn when I started living the things that I set forth in the book. So it started as an experiment because in 2017, I kind of looked around and I thought, oh my gosh, my life is a yard sale. I'm just a mess. <laughs> everything is crazy. I'm fighting on social media. Like everything that I was taking part in just kind of jumped out to me as being nonsense. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a year of no nonsense. I'm going to do this experiment. What will my life be like if I get rid of all of my nonsense? And so what I learned during that experiment and during the writing of the book is that nonsense is a lighthearted word for some deep stuff. <laughs> and I learned that we all have our own personal brands of nonsense, that we have things we're doing that are standing in the way of our health and happiness and success. And that is the definition of nonsense. So to have a year of none of it <laughs> is sort of impossible, but the book is about how to learn to get out of your own way, to identify the nonsense in your life and how to kind of move past the big ones, especially. Yeah. I mean, I love where you talk about the types of nonsense as being self-sabotage, blame, people-pleasing, control issues, scarcity, unworthiness, indecisiveness. I mean, I resonate, and I think a lot of women do, with almost all of those, right? Especially, sure. I mean, scarcity versus abundance, making decisions out of your fears, which I raised my hand on for a long time, versus your hopes and dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what's interesting. So we all have common brands of nonsense. Like we all can relate to being a people pleaser. I mean, not everyone. There are people that come into the world and they don't care what other people think. And yeah. I envy them. I envy, <laughs> them, I envy them very much. Um, but there are things that we all sort of have in common. Like the vast majority of women are people pleasers. And we learned that from a very young age. We learned that women especially are best loved if they're pretty cute, quiet, and doing what everyone wants. And so mm -hmm. we get our praise very early in that realm. And so naturally, we grow up to be adults who are trying to make everyone happy, often at our own expense. And so that's definitely a type of nonsense. And it's really the book's goal is to help you identify the things that are really standing in the way of your health and happiness and success. Because we're all going to do people-pleasing to an extent. But full-blown full people-pleasers have some really tough hurdles to get over because they typically don't put themselves even on the map. You know, like never, like don't even think about putting yourself first. People-pleasers 
true hardcore people pleasers aren't even considering themselves in most decisions because they gain most of their worth and value from making other people happy at whatever cost. And so that's a big one though. I think if any, if there was any comment on the book that I heard all the time, it was the part about people pleasing. So to me that, that says like, oh yeah, I was dangling a nerve right there. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think I'm a life coach and I work with women who are quitting drinking and almost all the women I work with are some combination of sort of people pleaser overachiever, which can be sort of two sides of the same coin. And I think one of the most difficult things that they find in quitting drinking is actually advocating for themselves because they sort of built up their life in a way that they feel like they need to drink to tolerate their busyness, Mm. their schedule, their responsibilities because they are not taking care of themselves. And the only way they can check out is to drink or that's what they think. Right. And that's, that's part of the, the habits or the lies that we begin to tell ourselves. Yes, totally me a hundred percent. And, and I always tell the story that when I was at my worst, I had everything I wanted. I had everything I asked for. I had the successful six figure lawyer job. I had a house in the burbs. I had two kids and a lizard. I had a husband, I had a, a SUV and I had a Louis Vuitton sitting in the seat next to me. And that sounds like the life that many people want. And so I don't want to poo poo that life if that's, you know, cause what you want, you want. And if you go get it and you're happy with it, great. But the point was I had worked and designed my life to be that. And I had to drink to black out every night to yeah. survive. And then and- I look back on that and, and that is so interesting. <laughs> I mean, very interesting because of so many of the, um, the non, so much of the nonsense I had interwoven in that life. I mean, I think you're completely right. And one of the reasons I loved your book and I love your story is that it is so much like mine. And I know it's so much like so many women who find themselves in this trap of nightly drinking to numb out to, you know, quote unquote, fall asleep on the couch, which for me was passing out and my husband couldn't wake me up. Right. Um, falling asleep. Me yeah. too. Well, I just fell asleep. asleep. Just the defensiveness and the resentments and the, my life is so hard. I mean, I had the same life, right? I was an executive in digital marketing, two kids, successful job, great vacations, you know, so busy, so stressed and drinking a bottle plus of wine a night. Right. Yeah. And oh, yeah. one of the things that motivated me when I was wanting to quit drinking was I too had everything and was deeply unhappy and couldn't figure out why. I thought it was my job. My husband wasn't as supportive as he needed to be. My life was hard. And part of the unraveling, and I want to ask you about this because you made two lists and I did something very similar. I put up in my, in my, um, in my vanity, sort of in the inside, this sign that said, create a life that feels good on the inside, not just one that looks good on the outside. Because inside, Mm -hmm. my life felt like shit. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. 
And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. I'm glad you can cuss. Good. (laughs) good. I was, one of my big questions was, is nonsense the word that you really used or was it? Uh, Well, so funny, funny. So nonsense was always the word I used. However, the subtitle of the book, the first subtitle was supposed to be um, how to, oh gosh, I don't even remember it, but it had the word bullshit in the title. Yeah. Yeah. And I fought against it because I felt like cuss words in a title was too trendy at the time. I, I knew that, and it wasn't bullshit with a bleep out either. It was just the word bullshit was in the title. And I was just like, I feel like that's a barrier. Like, let's just not put it in the title. And my publisher fought me back and forth. They're like, it's on there. That's the subtitle. And I was like, well, crap. Well then Walmart (laughs) and Target decided they wanted the book but they wouldn't buy it with that title. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, sweet, I'm getting my way. But no, nonsense. You can totally add, you can strike out nonsense and put bullshit. Same thing. Nonsense is bullshit. I just chose a word. The year of no bullshit. It's like, uh, it doesn't feel as, I don't know. I didn't want this book to feel kitschy because it's not a kitschy subject. This is very serious. (laughs) Like nonsense is very serious. Well, and Um, I do love your subtitle. It's how to get over yourself and on with your life. And a lot of what you dive into the, in this book, and I love that you have checkpoints. It is working with your inner core beliefs that are sabotaging yourself. It's, you know, you talk about peeling back the truth onion and what's really holding you back. So I think that, you know, getting over yourself and on with your life really is what this book enables women to do. And I know, you know, the women who listen to this podcast are sober curious, trying to quit drinking in early sobriety or sort of happily sober and trying Mm -hmm. to unravel maybe what's underneath that, that led to them drinking in the first place. I know your book is not all about quitting drinking, but that was sort of your underlying issue that you needed to deal with first. I loved your husband's sticky note um, that really (laughs) gave you a kick in the ass. So can you tell the listeners about that? Yeah. So um, this was about 2014. So I was, I always liken this year to, you know, and, and with drink, if anyone has been drinking for a really long time or you're sober, you have a year or a couple, a period in your life where you can probably look back on and say that was the darkest 
you yeah. know, and I, and, and you can go straight to it. So this was the darkest for me. This was the darkest time in my life. I had finished an Ironman race, which is, which is a really long triathlon. Amazing. And I drank like a fish. I was the heaviest I'd ever been. And I developed diverticulitis, which is a inflammatory bowel condition. And I got shingles. And so this all happened right after this Ironman. I, like, I just fell apart, like physically, emotionally. I was also very drunk and all the time. Like I drank at least two bottles of wine a night. That was my um, deal. So anyway, um, one, like even all during my drinking, I always did what I was supposed to do. Like I got up and got my kids to school, like no matter what, I may have looked like my mom always says who shot Lizzie, but (laughs) like I looked terrible, but I always did my job. And so one morning my alarm went off And I distinctly remember turning it off, rolling over and, and being like, I don't give a shit. I don't. And and in the book I talk about, like if anyone had come to my house and said, they're like, Oprah's here. I'd be like, I don't care. Fuck her. You know, like it was literally like, I don't care. And then I rolled over, went back to sleep. So a couple hours later I woke up and it was like that scary kind of wake up where you don't know where you are, what happened. And you're like sweating. It was that kind of wake up. I went downstairs. No one was there. So I assumed, you know, the kids got to school somehow. I don't know how they were like four and five. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know how they got to school. Um, I assume my husband got them there. And um, yeah, so everyone was gone. And I look on the counter in the kitchen and the pizza boxes, the ice cream container, the empty wine bottles and credit card bills were lined up on the counter like a parade. Like someone and I was put like, them there. Someone had put them there and I was like, I don't remember doing that. (laughs) Um, And next to the unpaid credit card bills was a post-it note from, in my husband's like scientific smarty pants handwriting. And it said, you need to get your shit together. And that was all it said. And I like looked around. I was like, is this for me? Like, who is this for? (laughs) You know, I, do you know who I am? Do you know what I do for you? Do you know what I look like on paper? Like everything that started running through my head was like my resume, like I do everything for you and these kids and this house. And, blah, blah, blah. and so and I that's get why I drink because I have no time and I work so I hard drink. and I have so many responsibilities and I, you know, yeah. Yeah. You got you. it. And you're, you're the reason, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I get my phone out to text him the angriest, long, longest, like mean emoji text ever with the knife and the gun and the coffee, oh, wow. like I'm going to kill, you know, I start texting him and then out of the corner of my eye, I see a poster board with blue ink on or purple ink on it that my first grader, it was her science fair project. And I had told her the night before, yes, baby, I will get up with you and help you finish it because I couldn't be bothered to finish it the night before because it was time to drink, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I said, I was going to get up and help her. I didn't show up to get, I didn't get up and I didn't even show up to tell her why I couldn't help her. You know, it was one of those moments. And I thought, oh boy, this is me. (laughs) whoops, this, this mess is me. And the interesting thing about that, that was, um, yeah, 2014. I did not get sober until December, 2015. And so what I like to tell people when they say, cause I, I just went cold Turkey, stone cold sober. I didn't AA, I didn't do anything. I just quit drinking. And that was that. But what people say, well, it must be nice to just quit drinking and it be that easy. I had this sticky note apocalypse happen in 2014. It took me a year to come to the date that stuck, yeah, you know? And so I always tell people, even that first step when you're like, I've got to change something. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to quit. Or you quit for a month and you go back and you quit and you go back and you, qu- you are not failing. You are 
gaining. You are gaining momentum. You're getting legs under you. You're having the courage to try. And so I tried for a year and then it continued like anyone who is on the sober side of things will predict it will for you. It continued to get worse. (laughs) And so I went on, I did two Ironmans the next year, but I was more tired. Everything felt heavier. The darkness continued. And I woke up one day and actually I was sitting in a Target parking lot. This was the turning point. I was sitting in Target parking lot and I heard a voice. (laughs) You always got to love when you hear a voice. And it was like from deep within me, God, whoever, me, my former self, I don't know. But the voice was very clear. And it said something like, you are going to be dead in one year. And it was, it was not like an audible voice, but it was a feeling. It was a state, but that was the statement I heard. It was, you will be dead in one year. And I believed it because of the way I was feeling. And I also... Um, every day I drove home from work, there was a tree at the bottom of this huge hill. And almost every day I drove home, I thought I could just drive myself into this tree. That was like my daily dialogue. Yeah. And well, then I, I didn't drive I, myself I into the tree. I hear you. And I actually don't talk about this that much. But, you know, I also had a moment of clarity. It was also probably two or three years before I quit drinking. I um, My husband was out of town. I had a five-year-old son. And I finally quit drinking. I had about a year sober in between, but I finally quit drinking when he was eight. And I woke up, you know, with him crying, screaming, coming to my room, just distraught. And he had spent a bunch of time in kindergarten building this leprechaun track. It was St. Patty's Day and had it in his playroom with the little gold coins. And the leprechaun was supposed to come and collect the coins. And I had drank a bottle and a half of wine a night, passed out and woke up with a hangover, a screaming headache and the most beautiful five-year-old little redheaded boy. He's so sweet, just crying because the leprechaun hadn't come. And I was just like, you know, dagger through my heart. What yeah. the fuck is wrong with me? All these things um, went to his, you know, before school. And of course, they had a trap that the leprechaun, you know, the little footprints, the green footprints. And I was like, oh, Hank, it's because he was caught here. And I just was <laughs> like, I'm such an asshole. Like, I'm such yeah. an asshole. And then kept, you know, had a year sober, not right after that. So women listening to this who are like, I had this moment of clarity and I still can't get my shit together. You are not a horrible person. It is just part of the process. Keep trying. Mm. Yeah. But I, one of the reasons. But also don't discount that voice. No, don't discount that voice. Don't discount it. That's your inner voice telling you, like when you hear the whisper, it's going to become a roar. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, 
and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. But I also like when I quit, it was finally because I felt doomed and I was terrified that I was going to fuck up my life and fuck up my family's life and my kids. And it was going to be my fault. I mean, I Mm. used to sit at work and, you know, hung over and like my go-to reaction, I'm not sure I meant it, but like was, I want to shoot myself. Like that was the thought. And it was, and I was like, how, do, and by the way, four years sober, I never hear the words, I want to shoot myself in the head. Yes. Thank it's you. I don't drive into trees. I don't want to drive into trees. Like that yeah. thought just doesn't pop into it your doesn't. head. So you're now I might want to like, drive other people into trees sometimes. <laughs> oh yeah. And I have crappy days where I'm like, this sucks, but I don't six times a day think I want to shoot myself. Right. So right. your book is like a roadmap. I mean, it truly takes people through the process of identifying what's working in your life, identifying what's not. I love that you at the end of each chapter chapter have checklists to really help women work through some of this stuff. So tell me how you decided. I know in the beginning, it's start where you are, and then you take women through the process. But what was your goal? And how did you sort of figure out those steps? I didn't figure out the steps until I started looking at my life. Like, where did I come from? <laughs> because it wasn't like along the way, like I'm going to do these steps. But when I looked back on like my journaling and on like how far I'd come, because this, this journey really dates back 10 years. Like I, I was in 2010, I was about 250 pounds overweight and I had two kids under two and I was a practicing attorney. And it started there with moving my body. Like I, I went to a gym, I started doing triathlon. I was still 220 pounds. Like I know, and I'm to this day sitting here, I'm 191. So I'm still not, I didn't like get thin and, and everything was great. And my life is amazing. Like that never happened. Not part of the story. Um, but I did start with moving my body and I made a ton of progress. I made all these changes. I was very full of myself. I thought I had <laughs> solved it all, but I was Were still you full a raging of yourself? drunk. I was very full of myself. I mean, <laughs> ego is part of my problem. Like I'm very like, that is one of my deadly sins for sure is ego. Um, but I was very full of myself. I at least admit it and own it now, you know, um, but I didn't own it then. And I just, I was very full of myself and I thought I had um, just figured so much out, but I was still drinking, you know, and I was still, and even, even now four and a half years sober, um, I realized that sometimes in, in a lot of the past several years, I've just been a dry drunk. So all of that is like, I, I quit drinking and you think that's going to solve your life. You you really do because that is the biggest bleeder and you should absolutely quit drinking because it will stop the bleed, but it's just the beginning. And so well, when so I the look concept back, of a dry drunk, I, I know that concept, but for anyone listening who hasn't heard that, tell me what you mean by that. So I had not, someone called me a dry drunk online a couple years ago and I looked it up and I got really pissed off because it basically means you just quit drinking, but you're still a shitty person. <laughs> like that's yeah. the summary. You've not dealt with any of the stuff that made you drink in the first place. And I got really offended. I wrote a blog post about why that person was an asshole and I went on about my life. Well, ring in like 
a few years ago and most recently two months ago, um, I realized, oh yeah, I totally was a dry drunk. That sucks <laughs> because I had not dealt with um, the childhood stuff. I had not dealt with my trauma. I had not dealt with the wounds that kept me. Okay, sure. I don't drink, but I still bite my nails and I still go to the kitchen sometimes and think, you know what? I could just start cutting myself. And I think of, like, I have this thought loop that addicts have. And that is what I've come back to is like, oh, I'm an addict. I have, I really should have worked the 12 steps. I should have gone to AA like, oh, this is all news. But when I look back on the process, like how did I come to the year of no nonsense? How did I come to this process? It's because I had to learn from my mistakes. I had to learn at the process that took me to the point where I started writing the year of no nonsense in 2018, 2019, and now it's out, but now I've changed even more. And I'm like, I have another book. I have another idea. Um, because this concept of dry drunk is you when you don't establish or when you don't recognize what's causing you to drink in the first place. And you don't make peace, solve, work through your trauma, your history, your all of it. You yeah. can't actually be fully sober. You're not emotionally sober. You're just you're just dry. You're still a drunk, and you're still you know having these bad behaviors that cause you pain. And so, actually, coming up with the year of no nonsense process was about me looking at how I got to the point I did when I wrote the book. And I had come very, very far. Like if you knew me in college, like when I was 22, um, I was a mess, like just a mess. Like I would drink so much and, and smoking cigarettes and getting in fights with people and, and eating two Whoppers, a large fry and, you know, cheese sticks and, and like just horrible, disgusting habits. And so when you pair that next to, oh, here's Meredith Atwood, the Iron Man. Yeah, I had done great, but I still had further to go because I was not dealing with the emotional stuff behind it. Yeah. And so the year of no nonsense is really um, a roadmap for taking this sobriety journey, whether or not you're a drinker, because I promise you as a human, whether you drink or not, you have some really bad habits yeah. <laughs> and you have some stuff that, that is standing in your way. And so that's why the term addict gets a bad rap because people are like, well, I don't drink or do drugs. No, but you cheat on your husband and you shop all day long. You know, you got your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I promise mean, everyone you, everyone has stuff. their stuff, right? Everyone has their stuff. And yeah. one of the We're reasons humans. that, that, you know, I love that you talk about peeling back the truth on you. And I talk about it like uncovering the layers because the reason we start drinking is it works for a while, right? Yep. It is a maladaptive coping strategy, but it is a coping strategy. It does numb us out. It does shut off our mind. It does take down our inhibitions. And then once you stop drinking, because invariably, if you drink enough, it doesn't work for you, right? We, we know that. Um, right. And it is addictive and it'll take you down a path. But there's all the things underneath that is the reason that drinking appealed to you so much in the first place. So you do right. like, you know, peeling back the layers, the onions, getting to the heart of it. Like once you stop that behavior, you need to do that work. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's always going to be there too. And I think that is an interesting and very true statement. You know, just because you quit drinking and, and you're many years sober, the vigilance that it requires to get through every day will shift, but it's always there. 
I mean, it's always the desire to cope, to numb out with whatever mechanism you can. And, and it's not until you start to turn the blame and the identification of the problems inward and you understand that happiness, which is a loaded term, but you understand that your happiness and your health and all of this comes from you and not from people around you, not from your job, not from anything external, mm-hmm. can you develop the resolve to be able to withstand the desire to numb out. And then you can start to create the life you want. And then you don't want to numb out, you know, you, you get a better job and, and you like the person you're, you're living with and everything gets better, <laughs> but it yeah. can't start with a, a numbing out. You can't get anywhere with that behavior. And so that's like in the book, I talk about how if drinking is your one nonsense thing, because I say we all have one big bleeder right now. Yeah. And if it is drinking, get rid of that one, get like triage the big bleeder and then start to deal with your shitty career, the husband you hate, <laughs> like, yeah. then deal with the rest of it. Um, but you're going to get the most bang for your buck if you just quit drinking. And I know that sounds which is easier said than done, right? Because I know that's easier said than done. Yeah, it takes a long time, but that's a whole nother podcast, which I have a bunch of them on how to actually do that work. Right, right. Yeah. So when you said, um, in terms of, I think you were writing about editing your nonsense, and you talked about um, what's different now. You know, even once you sort of cut the stop the bleeding and do some of this work, you said, I have I have less of hangovers, less of frenemies or toxic people who suck your energy. You don't forget or fail to take your kids to school. The notes on the counter are friendlier. You know, good things. <laughs> not all the time. <laughs> not all the time. More not sleep, more patience, more drive and time presence with your family. You feel more alive and purposeful and sane. That is definitely how I feel too. And and what I liked is you kind of change, you said you change your definition of what you're seeking um, to to embrace sort of contentment and peace, you know, versus mm-hmm. happiness. And I thought that was interesting because we all want to be happy, right? Right, right. Yeah, happiness is, I talk about in the book how there's five lies that we're being told. And one of them, I believe, is the lie of happiness that we are told or we pick it up somewhere along the way that that is the goal, that we want to be happy. And happiness that we're seeking is exactly what um, is causing us to numb out because we it's bliss. The idea of happiness is bliss is like that great feeling when you love someone so much or you're at Disney world, although I don't like Disney, so that's not bliss for me, (laughs) but a lot of people like Disney and you know, it's, it's those moments that you can look back on and be like, Oh my gosh, I was so happy, but we're seeking that day to day. And we're Mm -hmm. expecting it from our partners, our children. Like, why don't you make me happy? Why doesn't this job make me happy? When really it's a lie. We can't have that kind of joy every single moment of every single day. We can have peace. We can have contentment. We can be grateful. And, and that's a different level. And so a lot of times I think that um, addicts are seeking that happiness all the time. Like, why isn't my life happy? Why isn't it at this level? Well, if it's not going to be, then I'm just going to numb. So, I mean, the opposite of happiness, I don't think is sadness. I think it's numbness. <laughs> it's just yeah. like, dead, you know? And so that's what 
I talk about as being a lie. Just if we can just let go of the expectation of happiness and look more at how can I be more present, more content and do things that feel good. Like just, you know, if it sometimes just feels good to do nothing, you know, it feels good to just go for a walk and that's, is that happiness? Is that bliss? No, probably not, but it's, it's still good. One well, so good when you talk about numbing, you know, we want to be happy all the time, but we also want to not feel any negative emotions. Mm, so when you yeah. numb out those, you numb out the good stuff too. You're just not able to feel content without having that alcohol in your system. I mean, I find the hardest thing with myself and with women when they're quitting drinking is being bored. Like we're so used to the minute we feel bored doing something to change that mm. mood. We're so not used to being angry without drinking at another person. We're so not used to being lonely or being sad. I mean, of course, when you drink, a lot of times you those emotions come out, but a lot of times you barely remember them, you know? So <laughs> Yeah, I was fun hard. drinking until I wasn't. And that was yeah. when the anger came out and I blacked out. <laughs> yeah, I know. And right. it's because, you know, so some people are like, I just feel so, I'm just bored. And I'm like, yeah be bored or try to think of something else to entertain you. Like it's experimentation sitting through the human emotions without going to a substance. Yeah. And I wish I could remember it it just happened to me yesterday, but I can't remember what triggered it, but it was something, Oh, I know what it was. My son. So when he was a toddler, he used to walk up to us and he would turn around and back into us and sit down like a, like a pickup truck. Just beep, 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 back (laughs) up, sit down. And last night he's 12 I was sitting in the living room knitting because that's what you do when you're sober. You do things like knit and draw and like you do things to keep your mind busy. And I was knitting and he comes over 12 years old and he stands in front of me and he backs up and sits down on me. And I just had so much freaking joy from him doing that. And then he sat in my lap for like a half an hour and we talked about when he was a baby and when he was born And the reason that, and and everyone may say, oh, well, yeah, of course that would make you happy. But Meredith from four years ago would not have felt that level of joy from that little moment. It's the contrast from the fact that I feel boredom now and I feel real anger, like in, in a sober way. And I feel sadness and depression and anxiety in this COVID world and, and everything that's going on that I can feel real joy from my heart, (laughs) you know, that I, and, and that is just an example that I, you know, before I'd be like, why are you sitting on me? I'm, I'm doing something. Why are you sitting on me? I'm knitting. No, I'm drinking. I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Yeah. It's just different. It's, and, and I think that's the biggest thing is you learn what those moments of joy, how, how very real they are. They're true joy. Or it would have just been like a moment. It wouldn't have been a joyful moment, yeah. you know? And I think that's the, that's the contrast I feel. Well, my son's 12 too, and he's four inches taller than me. So I completely oh. get how you would feel just absolute joy oh. at that. I mean, I remember when I was four months sober, maybe even earlier, maybe two, suddenly on a Tuesday, I was walking in my office and I live in the Seattle area. Mount Rainier was out and the sky was blue and the birds were, the birds were singing and it was like 8am. And I thought to myself, as opposed to earlier when my thoughts would be, I want to shoot myself. I actually was like walking in, it just popped into me. I love my life. 
I'm happy. Mm, This is beautiful. And like just that quickly after giving up that substance to feel that, you know, and it wasn't just that I didn't have a headache and I wasn't hungover and it was just this feeling of joy. And it was amazing because I was like, I have not felt that in a really long time. Right. Right. And for me, it was, it was so long, like 18 years since I had felt that kind of joy and, and to feel real joy and knowing, yeah, same thing. It's just, it's so, it's almost scary. I think, especially newly sober because you think, oh gosh, well, when's the shoe going to drop? Yeah. This can't, you know? And, And so that's why I like to encourage, like, we're not seeking that happiness we're seeking contentment, a, a world we can live in where we don't have to numb because yeah. happiness is scary too. It's scary for people that are newly sober. This can't last. This is not going to happen. I'm going to screw this up. Someone's going to screw it up. You know, there's that, yeah. there, there's a lot of growth to do newly sober. And that's why it's so hard. That's, that's absolutely why it's so hard. Yeah. And also, I mean, one of the things that I think is one of the best parts of sobriety, but you also talk about it in your book is just the absence of waking up with that like shitty inner critic voice in your head, like berating yourself. You know, why can't I get it together? Why did I do this to myself again? What is wrong with me? Just the evil voice. And you talk about how, you know, the mind for a lot of us is a battlefield and we are so much crueler to ourselves than we would be to anyone else, but also, dismantling some of those core beliefs that just pepper us a million times a day with a million, you know, the death of a thousand cuts. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and about that work? Yeah. So we all have core beliefs. These are things that we developed from a very young age. They shape us. They become part of who we are. And many, many times we didn't pick them. (laughs) It's something we've heard. It's something that someone said to us. Oh, you're so stupid. You'll never be good at math. You know, fourth grade teacher. Um, Well, you have such a pretty face. Implying the rest of you, not so much, you know, (laughs) or you're, you're put on a diet at age 11. So you think you're never, you know, your body is, um, a mess. So all of these things get interwoven into our lives. They become part of our belief system. And so when we do the things that impact that and we do them repetitively and they cause us harm, then it's just, it digs it deeper. It's you hear the voice of that inner critic of, of that, um, that belief that said, Oh, you're so stupid. Oh, that's the voice that comes up when you screw, you know, quote unquote, screw up. And so we have to learn to target those core beliefs, to identify them. Most of us don't even know what they are. We are on what I call the shit show autopilot. Yeah. And everything is a shit show and we're doing it just on repeat. And so step one of any of these processes is awareness. You have to get your head out of the sand (laughs) and you have to see And that's hard because that's what we've been avoiding. If you're drinking, you're avoiding seeing. You don't want to see. You want to just tune out. And some people are like, I can't can't go there because I think it'll break me. I don't think I can look at that. Yeah, right. And and that's that's what we tell ourselves. Like that's a core belief. The core belief is you're, you're broken or close to it. And along with the I can't go there belief is a belief that you are weak. 
Yeah. And so you can, for every thing you say, I can't do this because go to the because. And so in that statement, because it will break me. Okay. We'll go dig a little bit deeper on that. What does it really mean? Because I am weak. Why do you think you're weak? Well, because my parents told me I was weak. Well, why did they tell you you were weak? Because I did this. Well, why? Dig it down to the very core thing that happened to you in your childhood. And look, we don't do that without a therapist. Don't do it if you've got trauma. But that is the truth. There is something in you. If you think you can't do it because it will break you, it's because you think you're weak and can't handle it. And so you need the support of someone, whether it's a therapist, a coach, to hold your hand while you do it because you're not going to break. Because that's going to free you when you get to the reason, to the core of your truth onion, as I call it, you're free. When you can look whatever it is that you think you can't look at, when you can look that in the eye, whatever it is, whoever it is, whenever it happened, you can then begin to heal. Until then, you're just covering it with a bandaid. You're just continuing to not deal. And we have to deal. And yes, it will suck. (laughs) It will suck. It will suck bad. Um, But the other side of it does not suck. And it's worth it. And, you know, one of the things I figured out after I stopped drinking was I was never clear enough to separate what was something I needed to deal with versus me drinking. I was so mad at myself for drinking too much or being hungover or not being able to deal with my drinking or wanting to whatever it was I could never separate like oh no this is genuine anxiety and it's here for a reason and yes I might be you know overreacting to this trigger but it's because this happened in my past and you got to get clear to deal with it and then you're finally able to move on with your life in a way that you're actually kind to yourself Right. Right. And I don't think that happens right away. I am still the meanest person in the world to myself. I mean, that's going to take a lifetime of work. And that's another thing I kind of rage on the self-care industry um, about this whole idea that you just wake up and love yourself. I think that is the biggest line of bullshit ever. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, you mean I just had to start loving myself? Like, oh, well, thanks for telling me. Um, It's not that easy, but you're right. We have to clear the space in order to be able to love ourselves. And the more we show ourselves that we have this ability to stick to our promise of not drinking and and to get up to go for a walk or whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, the more we build that muscle Mm -hmm. and the more room we have for the self-love and the self-care. And so it doesn't start there. I don't believe. I mean, maybe there are really smarter people well, in the world that say it does, <laughs> I think but I couldn't do it. I think what helps is, you know, there's this phrase that like your bottom is whenever you stop digging. And I think the the issue is, is you don't turn it completely around right away. And, you know, I agree with you. It's a process like you sort of cut out some of, you know, you, you talk about in the book, cut out the bad wood. You, you know, that's an ongoing process of editing your life and growing and learning. And yet, at least you're not digging yourself deeper. At least you're reaching out for new tools and new sources of support and being honest to give yourself the opportunity to feel better. Right. Right. Exactly. It's about creating space for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. 
So if someone's listening to this and they're not sure where to even start, right? They're in a painful place or just a dissatisfied place or a defense, whatever. They're scared of leaving their job, yet they're not happy. They have a mean boss. They're drinking too much. They're having issues in their relationship. They're feeling anxiety. They feel like they hate their body, whatever it is. Where do they start? Yeah. I think step one is admitting all of those things because (laughs) I think sometimes we know them or we're running it on a loop in our head, but we haven't pulled our head out of the sand to actually put pen to paper and be like, this is what's making me miserable. And then I think you have to see the truth about your role in it and what you're doing that is contributing to that list you hate. (laughs) And a lot of times when you get down and dirty, honest with it, a lot of what is keeping you stuck and sad and all the people that you're hating on, it's, it starts with you. Like it really does. There's something on that list that you have control over and you're choosing to not have control over it. And so I work with Lauren Zander with the Handel group. Um, She's my life coach. And one of like the name of her book is maybe it's you. (laughs) And it means just that maybe everything you hate in your life is you. And um, a lot of what the year of no nonsense incorporates is this is how to get over yourself and on with your life. This is not how to complain about X, Y, and Z. Like this is what you do. This is your responsibility. And so you can't fix anything until you see yeah, the, see the whole picture. And so I know like weight was always my struggle. It's still like, I guess if I had a struggle, I'd still say, ah, it's weight, whatever. Um, I care less and less about it every day, but, um, people that are overweight, especially, and they don't want to be look, there's, there's body positives who are like, be whatever weight you want to be, love yourself. And people are good with that. I'm not talking to you. There are people (laughs) that, are overweight and don't want to be. So if you fall into that camp, the first thing you have to do is look at yourself in the mirror and potentially gather some scale data. I'm, I don't care if you weigh or not, but you have to see, you have to be like, okay, I'm 10 dress sizes bigger than I've ever been. And I'm not happy here, but I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to take in this information. And now what am I going to do about it? And I think so often we don't want to take in that information because it sucks. It sucks to admit, oh my gosh, one, I've got, gotten this far down a path. I'm not happy. I did this to myself. Literally, we don't want that data. But yeah. that is exactly the data that sets you free because then you can look at it and say, okay, here's my roadmap. <laughs> Yeah, I want to change this. And so that's the first step. And that's why I think people put my book in the freezer like Joey on Friends. They're like, no, thanks. Yes. <laughs> Chapter two. Goodbye. I'm out. Well, or they don't want to give up the stories. I mean, I know a lot of us um, go to that sort of victim mode, that kind of Eeyore, like, of course, yes, all the excuses as to why we yeah. can't change. My job is so hard. I am the only person taking care of my kids. I have no support. My spouse drinks. I wouldn't be able to take time to myself if I wanted to. I'm so tired. You know, um, 
you know, and that applies to drinking too. Like I can't go to, I can't stop drinking this week because I'm going to a party and everybody there drinks and they'll think I'm weird or I don't have the energy to supervise my son's play date if I don't drink, like whatever it is. And the truth is that if you ever want to dig yourself out of the hole, you know, you have to give up some of those excuses and change what you can and just be willing to take the first step. And And maybe that's just reaching out for help. Yeah, exactly. And I think you have another layer of that is to accept the truth about the world, which is there will always be another party. There will always be another holiday, another event, another weekend. There's always a Monday that you can start again. Hey, I'll start on Monday. Like this is what everyone does and why we stay stuck because if you're going to live your life according to the party that's coming this weekend, there's always going to be one of those. There's always going to be a reason why you don't do what you say you want to do. And so at some point you have to look at that and say, okay, I'm done. And the party, whatever, like, it doesn't matter. It has to be about you and you have to take your power back. You Mm -hmm. have to, I mean, addiction, AA says you're powerless over alcohol. Your life's become unmanageable. And I agree that we have to surrender a lot of our ideas and um, notions about the world. But I also want to emphasize that the change you want, it can come from surrender and from your own internal power. I think they can exist together. And a funny story, when I quit drinking, um, I had been a year sober and our neighbors didn't know I quit drinking. And uh, we went to a a cul-de-sac party and it was Halloween. And I had, so I, uh, one of my tips for being a sober person in a drinking world is to take a huge tumbler filled with soda water and lime wherever you go. And they assume you're drinking and then you, you can avoid the question. Um, if you don't, I don't mind telling people I'm sober, but some people do. And so I had my big tumbler full of soda water and my neighbor, and I was, I was in a good mood. I was having a great time. And my neighbor's like, boy, you sure are drunk. (laughs) And I was like, I'm just drunk. I'm just high on life over here. I'm having a good time. But, um, you know, I can always use the excuse of there's the cul-de-sac party. There's this. And what will they think of me? And to that, I always respond. People don't care. Stop yeah. worrying that they do not care. Let them drink on their second drink. They'll forget you're not drinking. Like they don't yeah. care. They're there to get their drink on. They don't care what you're doing. Yeah. And if they do, if they make it their business to like ridicule you, you need new friends. Yeah. And that's all <laughs> like about that's them. Enough. That's all about their relationship with alcohol. They're right. You're threatening something in them. I mean, my favorite yeah. quote is like, stop worrying about what other people think. Most people don't even know what they think of themselves. Yeah. And if you're going around with this constant, you know, voice in your head, this constant chatter, so are they. I mean, the more I talk to women, honestly, the more I see that we all, we all are struggling, right? And we all have this inner voice and, you know, you're so busy listening to yourself. You can barely tell what the person across from you is or thinking. Right. Right. You have to become your own moral compass. And that's hard because most of us don't, don't know what we think. We don't know what we believe. We don't know what our values are, but you have to start with taking an inventory of where you are and, and what you believe and what are you made of. And it's scary and it's shitty. Like my lists were terrible. I was like, Oh no, (laughs) 
this is not going well. Yeah. And that's okay because you know what? It's not going well. Yeah. Right now. You know, if you're at the point where you're like, I have to make a list. I don't, I can't look at who I am. Like you're already not doing well. And you have to start where you are. Like my list in the beginning was, and I was trying to quit drinking or like at that point I might've just been like, I'm overweight and unhappy and something needs to change. I kind of knew it was my drinking, but I wasn't able or willing to say like, I'm never going to drink again. And I, my thing was, I was like, make a list of things that you do every day. Make a list of things that make you happy. Compare the lists and start adjusting. And Mm. the things I did every day was like, I I loved your daily schedule because it was the same as mine. The one you wrote in my book, it was your book. It was like, wake up with a headache and a hangover, try to pull myself together, go to the bus stop, take my kid to school, drive into work, drive through at Starbucks, sit in meetings, eat lunch at my desk, five o'clock, five thirty-six, rush to daycare pickup, come home, drink a bottle of wine, try to get my daughter to bed as quickly as humanly possible to keep drinking fall asleep on the couch, quote unquote, come up to bed at two in the morning with my husband having closed the door um, when he went to bed, which is in my mind was just the like cringeworthy moment of opening the door, whether it was at one, two or three, and then wake up the (laughs) next morning and repeat. And, you know, I couldn't start with, I knew that wasn't making me happy, but I had to start with like, don't eat lunch at your desk and listen to music and go for walks and work out it in the morning and maybe don't drink two or three days a week. And, you know, I, I know drinking was at the core of my issues, but it was probably, I mean, this was years in the making, but it was probably about six or eight weeks before I was able to get my last day one after that. So I just was like small. I mean, I had that sign up and every single day I was like, what makes me happy? You know, yeah, and it's just all you're doing with that is disrupting the pattern. Yes, you're you're disrupting the shit show autopilot. The second you stand up and say, "I'm going to do one thing different today," and you know whether it's I'm going to drink a lot of water or I'm going to go get some sunshine, like that disrupts a pattern. And if you don't know where to start, just disrupt your pattern, whatever it is. When I coach people. I have them take 10 minutes in the morning to do something and it depends on the person, but they wake up and they do this for 10 minutes, whether it's meditating, journaling, reading, whatever we talk through it. Um, That disrupts a pattern because most of us that are drinking or on the autopilot do not, we wake up and we shoot out the bed and, and the day is on us and the day is happening to us. When we start the day 10 minutes purposefully, doing whatever we are laying down the stake and we're like, this is my day. I'm, I'm in charge of this day. And and it changes your whole thing. Cause all of a sudden life is not happening. Tony Robbins life is not happening to us. It's happening for us. And so when you, when you focus on that, it's like, Oh my gosh, I have opportunity. And all of a sudden the day's brighter and you feel like maybe I won't have that scone at Starbucks. Maybe I'll just get a coffee and I'll, you know, eat something healthy for myself. Not because I'm trying to shrink myself, but because it's the right thing to do <laughs> to take or care of myself. That you have agency. Maybe that toxic person at the office comes over to gossip and spew negativity and blame and resentment. And maybe you're like, you know what? I kind of got to go right now. And yeah. you go talk to someone who's positive and just realizing that you have the ability to do that and 
you know, taking stock of like what makes you feel drained in your life versus what makes you feel positive and energized. And chances are, if you're in like the darkness, if you're in the dark hole, that is, you know, the, the life of someone drinking too much and hating themselves and hating their life, it's going to feel like you have to take this major stance and major overhaul. And that I love if you can pull it off, but most people can't pull that off. And so you have to take the little wins where you can get them. And those little wins pay huge dividends. James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, is a great book because it talks about how, I mean, he has all the research to back it up, but you just change something 1%. And then you take that 1% over the course of 10 years and all of a sudden you don't, you're not overweight anymore if that was your problem or you've gotten a job you want. I mean, I have a promise and consequence I set for myself every day that I make two career asks. So I email someone about a podcast. I email, I I do an ask. I do two of them every day. And I I don't hear back from 97%, (laughs) but every day I'm moving myself forward. And it's like that 1% thing. I just do those two, two career asks every day. I do, I do 10 minutes of meditation. I do, but then over the course, and I also do 15 minutes of Spanish a day because I want to learn a language. I've, I've had this core belief that I can't learn a language. Mm-hmm. And so I do Duolingo for 15 minutes every day. And I have fun with it because it's like a game. But today I looked, I logged on and I'm on day 58. I've been doing Spanish every day for 58 days. And I'm That's like, awesome. oh my gosh. And I started taking a quiz today and I'm like, I actually know some Spanish. And it's, it's 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And so we're making it into this. I got to do all this stuff. I got to do it right now. I got to change my entire life. And I love that. I'm all about that life. I've done it a couple of times, but you will change your life by changing a couple things. Yeah. And, and I think quitting drinking is your biggest dividend. You're going to get a huge reward from that pretty quickly. But even if you still aren't sure, try something else, mm-hmm. you know, try being done drinking every night by 930, nothing after 930. And then after 930, you drink water and see how you feel. I mean, just that is an atomic habit because eventually either that or you're just going to start drinking at lunch. I was going to say, like, I, I've never had like, I drink until it's gone or right. like there's no, but it's an experiment, no, like, right? Classes. Yeah. That's the thing too. If you believe, and this is the truth, like if you're an addict, you're an addict and that's not going to work for you. Either, yeah, it was like point because, like but it's going to tell you a lot about yourself. It's going to yeah. tell you that. Oh, in order to get all your drink on, you're now starting at 4.30. Do you really think you don't have a drinking problem? <laughs> like any experiment you do that you can't stick to and you can't get a, um, a benefit from, it's going to tell you the truth. Yeah. And so if you're hard-headed and you're having a problem and you think you can moderate, try that experiment. Yeah. See and most happens. of us have tried it for like a decade. I mean, I made every rule in the book. Yeah. But I too. truly, I love your thought of, you know, I always think you can't hate yourself well. And I loved when you talked about even that moment of clarity in the post-it note and the science project. And then that wasn't your moment that you were able to stop, but it was your moment when you were able to start doing something differently and seeing your part in it and starting to have agency. So, I mean, I feel like I'm a list maker. You mentioned you were a list maker too. And to this day, I kind of write down all the things that I've done or accomplished to make me happy, to take care of myself, 
to move my business forward, you know, just because you've got to be proud of yourself at every step along the way and realize how much you are accomplishing, even if you're not at your end goal yet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've got to see the baby steps. You've got to see, um, yeah, there's just all this pressure to fix it. And you you know what? We're never going to get there. We're never going to get to this destination Mm -hmm. we think we're headed toward. We just have to live each day and and do the best we can every day and one day at a time, truly. And, you know, I think sometimes we get paralyzed by the, if I can't fix this completely right now, I might as well not bother. And that's not true. This all or nothing. I actually spoke to a client earlier today. She said, why do I have to be all or nothing? And I said, because you choose that. You have long ago in your core belief system, (laughs) you chose, I am all or nothing. And I said, you got to quit choosing that. Just be you. You're not all or nothing because that that allows you to be really high or be really low. And it also allows you to why bother? Because if I'm not all in, what do I even bother about? So that's what this process is about is it's examining what beliefs do you have? Do you have this belief that you have to have a huge goal in order to train for anything? Like I, I coach a lot of athletes. So ones that uh, do like long distance triathlons or marathons are like, well, I don't have a race cause COVID. So screw it. I'm like, what? Like, no, get your ass outside and run. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, but that's where we get bogged down. Then if we don't have this, hairy goal or this big purpose, or we're not blowing up our life and making massive changes, why bother? And we have to get out of that all or nothing mentality, except for drinking. Do not drink. Yeah. <laughs> no drinking. Um, but yeah, I, I think that we will, we will do exactly what we are looking for. So if we're looking for failure, like, oh, oh, you always do that. Well, yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. So we have to start looking for the successes and looking for the ways we are getting it right. And, and they're there. the script, you talk about that you'd been reading the same crappy script for years and yeah. you need to flip the script and, and replace some of those negative core beliefs and inner critic voice with something new. Yeah. But yeah, I've been reading the same script. My friend Susan years ago, um, I was complaining. We have this very small group of us in a Facebook group, like moms, all ages. And there's very few of us. And so I was reading from my script. I didn't know I was reading. I was just telling my story about how I was a stressed, overweight mom, lawyer. And she's like, man, when are you going to quit reading that script? And I was like, I was just telling, I thought you were my friend, you know, like I was yeah. just telling you a story. And she was like, you have been saying this for two years. And I've known you for two years and she really called me out on it. And she said, if you continue to read from that script, that will be the, the role you play forever. You will be the overweight lawyer, mama too, who's stressed out and hates her husband and all this. Yeah. Stop, re- stop that script, tear it up. And so that was actually a precursor to the sticky note. So I had this friend tell me this like in 2013, 2014, beginning of 2014. And so I, it, it was all like that perfect storm of timing. Like, oh my gosh, I have to change this script. I have to, and I'm still working on it. And with Handel Group, with Lauren Zander as my coach, she talks about um, the inner dialogue and like, what are we saying? And in in recent times, I realized that my script is I hate everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I'm on a hate loop. So my current script is reading from a list of things I hate 
And then I look for evidence as to why I hate them. So for example, oh my gosh, my husband's such an idiot. I hate him so much. And like, this is terrible, but I've told him about it. So it's not like it's, it's, and it's just what I'm thinking inside my head. I'm not consciously doing it, but then he'll do something and I'll be like, well, there it is. That's why I hate him. And it's something stupid. Like he didn't make coffee. And so, but I'm looking for it because my internal dialogue is, is saying that, right? And so we have to get in our own head and replace it with, God, I love this man. He, yeah. look, he cares for me. He, he puts up with my crap. And then when he forgets to make the coffee, it's more like, you know what? I'm going to go make the coffee because he takes good care of me. Yeah. And, and it changes everything. And you can apply that to every part of your life. But yeah, you, there's a script you're running and you're reading. So what is it? What is it saying? So you because figure out your script and do you up. just flip to the other side and try to focus on that? Or I don't do think you, so. Do I think that? you have to literally tear up your script and write a new one because yeah. I think we can smell our own bullshit. So if it's like, oh, I love this man. I think that, and I do, look, I do love my husband. He's just always the example I come to. But <laughs> to, when I'm on the hate loop, I can't just turn it and be like, Never mind, I love this. Like, because that feels like a lie. Instead, I change it. So um, I can change it to gratitude. Like, I'm so lucky to live where yeah. I live. I'm so, this is actually a pretty rocking house, even though its ceilings are six feet tall and it's a shoebox. You know, I can look at. I love gratitude. Gratitude is like such a great tool. Right. Um, to and I, I forget who I was talking head. to recently, but they said it was on a podcast. Oh shoot. I can't remember, but she said, you know, I'm just thinking, Oh, it was Janine Roth. She said, just be grateful for like the chair you're sitting in. I'm thankful for this chair. I'm thankful for these socks on my feet. I'm, you know, if you've got nothing to say, start thinking about the things you can count and, and count them like even as silly as it seems to be thankful for your silverware. Yeah. Um, but it's there. And, and that, stop, that stops the hate loop for me. <laughs> um, yeah. But you do and have to really tear up your And it really does script. change the channel in your head. I mean, it, yeah. it does. I remember when I was, um, you know, six months, eight months sober, I had been working on gratitude. And I went out to see Brene Brown speak in downtown Seattle. I went out with a bunch of women who don't drink. We, instead of, we went to dinner before, did not get drunk. We um, decided to go for coffee and dessert afterwards. And I came out and my car had gotten locked into the garage. Like I, you know, um, the garage closed. I didn't even see the sign. And so in normal Casey world, I would have been like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. What the fuck? Why didn't they put the sign bigger? I can't believe this, you know, um, probably would have drank. So I would have been like, <laughs> not wanting to interact with anyone as I get my car out, not wanting to call my husband, I would have blamed it on like, drinking or something. Instead, I was like, okay, there's a sign here. So I called the number. I was grateful. First, I was grateful I was sober. Then I was grateful that there was a sign with a phone number. I was grateful someone picked up. I was grateful that it was only three blocks away. The guy gave me the pass. I drove out to give it to him and he didn't even charge me because he was like, it happens. You know, then I was grateful he didn't charge me. And, yeah, you know, that, I mean, it was as opposed to being like, my life sucks. This is horrible. This always happens to me. This is bullshit. Like blame defensiveness. It was just, and that was because I had practiced that gratitude. It was getting to be a muscle that I was used to using. Right. 
Right. Absolutely. And it is. Life is a muscle. (laughs) That's what I'm learning. We got to lift, we got to lift weights, life weights. Well, you love (laughs) lifting weights, right? That's like what you do. do. And I love to lift weights. Yeah. So I know at the end, you love to give a challenge to women listening to this. So Yeah. yeah, give us one. Yeah. Okay. So here is your challenge audience. Um, with regard to nonsense. So I want you for two weeks to look at every person, place, or thing, or situation, every decision you have to make and ask this simple question. Is this nonsense? Yes or no? And so a lot of people say, well, what is nonsense? How do I know what nonsense is? Oh, you know. <laughs> you know because there's a feeling in your stomach. There's an eye roll. There's a there's this shrugging like, oh my gosh. You know what nonsense is. And so part of this challenge is beginning to name and identify and see the things in your life that are nonsense. So when you're pouring a fifth glass of wine, I want you to go, is this nonsense? And really answer it. If you're pouring your first glass of wine and you've made a commitment to be sober, I want you to stop for a minute and ask what you're about to do if that's nonsense. Because you've set, you've stated goals. You've stated you're going to be sober. Why are you doing this? Is it nonsense? Yes or no? And a lot of this practice is going to identify the things that you've got to change. And you don't have to change them right this hot, fresh second, but you're going to know. And you're going to look at it and you're going to have this nice little small crate of things in your life that are not nonsense. And they're going to be small. (laughs) And you're going to be like, wow, I have a lot. I have a garage full of nonsense that I've identified in these two weeks. But what isn't nonsense is right here in this little box that I've made. Like make a mental box of the things that are important to you that are not nonsense. And that is where your energy should go going forward. That helps you flip the script. Because you go, these are this is what I care about. It's right here in front of me. And um, the, the garage full of nonsense tells you what you can start to get rid of and mm-hmm. what you can start to work on. And so it's a fun challenge because it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. You're like, oh, my gosh, that woman really is nonsense. And I really need to do something about my friendship with her. Oh, my gosh, this habit. Why am I still doing this? This is nonsense. And it'll start to wake you up. So a lot of us um, are just not awake to the autopilot. We're on autopilot. We got to get off it. And so that challenge helps kind of wake you up. And and it's a lot of fun too, because then you can start to um, laugh about it. Like, oh my gosh, that person is so much nonsense. (laughs) Well, and what what helps me too on page 20 of your book is um, the types of nonsense. And I kind of read them at the beginning, but in my mind, you know, when you're talking about pouring that fifth glass of wine or that first glass of wine, you know, in my mind, that's self-sabotage. When you um, are super mad at your husband or something else that happened, you know, that's blame. You know, you have this list, people pleasing, control issues, like is you're trying to micromanage other people in your life to your standards. Is that a, you know, control issues or nonsense or your own feeling of unworthiness or your excuses or your indecisiveness. So in my mind, like the list helps you because otherwise you're like, my entire job is bullshit and my boss is bullshit (laughs) and this meeting is bullshit and be like, okay, that's easy to be like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But if you have someone in the meeting who's talking down to you and undermining you, like that is, I always think of bullshit, but that is nonsense, right? Yeah. If you have a habit that is just self-sabotage and you know when you're doing it, 
that is nonsense, right? And so just, I mean, I really like the list because you can look around and to this day, I've got stuff that, you know, I'm undermining myself. I'm hanging out with people who may not be seeing the best in me, who are seeing the worst. I'm frustrated over trying to control things that I don't need to control. Yeah. And also what the inquiry, the the list is super helpful, but what the next inquiry is after you've got your pile of nonsense is where does this come from and what does it mean? Mm. Where did I get it? And so like when you said, you know, this person who's always talking down to me at work, that the next inquiry is, okay, what am I going to do about it? And why does this trigger me? You know, where did I, and and what am I saying to myself about what this person is saying to me? Am I so upset because I feel that they're saying is what they're saying is true? Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, is that actually true? What if it is, you know, and it's this whole brain explosion, (laughs) which it's really fun. I promise. Um, But it, it allows you to take back some of that power that, that you probably don't even realize you've given up at some point. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to leave this because I feel like your book is all about taking back your power and getting to what's underneath, you know, when you're feeling stuck and, you know, the fact that your life may not be where you want it to be right now. I mean, how to get over yourself and on with your life, you know, your book really does help people do that. And I feel like that's what so many of us need. So thank you so much. I really appreciate well, thank it. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I appreciate, appreciate this conversation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit Hello someday And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.